verse 1. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. This morning's sermon was written by Reverend Reuben Bradenhoff, minister of the Free Reformed Church of Mount Nisura in Western Australia. After the sermon, we'll, re we'll respond with the singing of Psalm 116, the stanzas 1, 7, and 8. Beloved in Christ, when you're in love, you want to talk about it. Maybe people remember that about when they first met that special someone. You found a way to mention him in almost every conversation. Because your love was so intense, everything was connected back to her. Later on, too, you can tell a lot about the love between a husband and a wife from the way they speak about each other and how they like to mention one another. Sure, there can be a secrecy to love, where for a time you share it only with your diary. But if love is real and living, it'll be expressed. That's what we hear in Psalm 116. This is a song of exuberant thanksgiving, and the psalmist begins with what his heart is full of, with what's moving through him constantly. I love the Lord, because he has heard my voice and my supplications, verse 1. He loves God, and he wants to tell that to anyone who listens. It's a song of thanksgiving, we said, because God has delivered him from trouble. It's a personal thank you but one that is shared in the presence of the congregation. We're allowed to listen in on his words, so some call this psalm a testimony. It's a declaration of his confidence in God, an outburst for his affection for God. I love the Lord. This is what the psalmist says, and this is what every believer ought to be able to say without hesitation. I love the Lord. And the child of God has so many reasons to say that and to keep saying it. Because of who the Lord is, because of what God has done, because of what he is yet to do, what he has yet to do, we love him. That's always true, isn't it? When love can point out the reason, when love has a foundation, that love is strong and lasting. So this morning, let's consider why we can love God so much and how we can love him more. I preach to you from Psalm 116, verse 1. The child of God declares his love for God. In the first point, we will see what the Lord has done, and in the second, what his child will do. They sometimes say that love is blind, that it overlooks a world of faults, and that it can brace someone regardless of foibles and weaknesses. That's probably true. Yet when we love God, our affection has its eyes wide open. For the psalmist, love is a flame in his soul for this one principal reason, God saved him. Now there is a lot that we don't know about the psalmist. We don't know who he was. We don't know what trouble he was facing, but we do know that it was severe. This was no minor problems. The pains of death surround me and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me, verse three. He was just about to die. It might have been a dangerous sickness, or it might have been cruel attacks from the people he trusted most, from the people he once trusted. The psalmist felt like he, he'd been tormented, enslaved, almost killed. He despaired of life itself. 
But he didn't die, of course, because now he's looking back. He's remembering and he's doing so from a safe place, a place where every threat has been removed and where there are normal, norm, no more chains. He's at peace. As he sits in safety, he hears an echo. It's an echo of his cries of distress. In his troubles, he has gone to the Lord in prayer again and again. Just take a look at all the different references to the prayer in, his, in the first four verses. He says, God heard my voice and my supplications. I call upon him. I called on his name. I implore you. In that time of grievous hardship, he'd seeking God, he'd seeking God, reaching out to him as a, his lifeline, sometimes praying out loud, sometimes quietly, sometimes with many words, sometimes with a simple cry for help, deliver my soul. And this is what God has done. He has heard my voice and my supplications. Verse 1, those anguished cries haven't been ignored, but those prayers have been answered. As the psalmist tells us what happened, he paints a beautiful picture of God listening to him. Look at verse 2. He has inclined his ear to me. When you incline your ear, you're tilting your head to one side so that you can hear better. Sometimes people who have a hearing loss do this. They turn their head slightly towards the person speaking to try to capture the sound better. Maybe a better image is that of a parent listening to his child. The child is short, the parent is tall, so dad inclines his ears so that he can hear. God listens to the prayer, listened to the prayer of his child and he was fully attentive. For this is what God does, he listens to our voice. Consider how Psalm 65 addresses the Lord. O oh, you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come, verse two. When we pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, our prayers don't bounce off the ceiling and fall to the ground. Our prayers don't disappear into the atmosphere or get stored in, in the cloud. God inclines his ear and he hears our prayers. So this is what the psalmist declares. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, again in verse one. Notice that this is the reason he gives his testimony, a motivation for his praise, God has heard him. Now when we think about that, we might want to quibble, put in our objections. Shouldn't we love God simply because of who he is, not for what he has done for us? Isn't it enough of a reason to adore God because he is holy and majestic and almighty? Our love for God should never be conditioned on what we get from God, like his answers to our prayers, or like his blessings on our plans. There's a bit of truth to that. The Lord is worthy of honor and praise in himself as the creator of the heavens and the earth, as the king and judge of all. We do love God for who he is in his nature. We love that we love that he is almighty, that he is holy, that he is immutable and righteous. We don't just love the mercies of God, we love the God of mercies. But it's impossible to separate them. We can't build a wall between God's everlasting character and then how we experience his character every day. The triune God reveals himself to us by his actions. He always has. He shows himself in real life. We can taste and see what the Lord is, see that the Lord is good, so we love him. This is what the author of the psalm discovered. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple, verses five through six. 
And how did he know this about God? Through his salvation, through the recent deliverance, I was brought low, and he saved me, in verse 6. Whatever was distressing him, God took it away. If it was an illness, God had healed it. If it was a betrayal of a friend, God gave vindication. If it was guilt, God forgave. Whatever it was, the author rejoices to say this, You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling, verse 8. The answer to his prayers have come. He'd experienced the goodness and power of the Lord in real life, and so now he proclaims his love. And this is where we need to join in. We love our God because he is a great God and because he has done great things. For we're not so different from the author of this psalm. We said we don't know what his troubles were exactly, but it sounded a lot like what we face. And by trouble, I don't just... I don't just mean sickness or work-related stress or betrayal or lack of money or even persecution. I mean the power and the deadliness of sin. I say this not to lessen at all the need for us to pray, but for us to realize that God is God, perfectly wise in all he does, perfectly good. And sometimes what we wish for and hope for isn't what the sa- isn't the same as what God has planned. He leads in a different way, a difficult way. He sends a hardship and not a blessing. He seems silent, not responsive, but the Father, our Father, will still bend down to hear us. He still cares for us because that is what he has promised in his word and at our baptisms. And while we wait for his answer, God is pointing us to what matters most, that we know him, that we can be satisfied in him. Like we said before, if our sin is forgiven and we have peace with God, then everything else has its proper place. If God has given us Christ, then he'll also give us the things we need in his service. We go to point two, what his child will do. So what's the response of the child of God to the Lord's great mercy? What is our response? It can only be to say, I love the Lord. In verse 1, the psalmist wants to tell us about the deep, his deep affection for the Lord. And not just in verse 1, throughout the psalm, you can hear it. The author's heart is full of joy and devotion produced by love. It's a beautiful thing when a person is moved in all the things by love for the Lord, when a person just enjoys God and delights to be with him. Now it's true that this love for God was required. Jesus calls it the first and greatest commandment, and God's people have always been expected to obey it. Love was required in the law, but it was never automatic. It's only produced in a person by the working of God's grace. When a sinner knows that God has been good to him, that he's been saved without any merit of his own. That's how it was for the psalmist, we said. God showed him great mercy by answering his prayer for salvation, so he'll give his reply, I love the Lord. Let's say a bit more about that word love. Because we don't always have a very substantial idea of love, it can be a bit feeble, a bit animic. Probably killed that word. Um, we We throw love around like confetti, for we love lots of things, fishing, wine, books, sports, toys, cars, 
We love this and we love that, but next month our love might have moved on to something else. The verb love in our text is much stronger. It carries the flavor of dedication, of commitment, and longevity. This is meant to be a love that lasts, an affection that endures. God gets that across to us when he commands us in his word, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is full-on love, love to a maximum, love without an expiry date. God says, take all that you know, all that you have, all that you are, and love me with every bit of it, always. If you look closely, that's what has the focus in Psalm 116. It begins with a public declaration, I love the Lord. But that's not all the author says, and that's not all he does. In the rest of the psalm, he puts his love into practice. For us also, it's all too easy to agree that we love God and we believe in God. It's too easy for us to sit in church and say the words and sing the songs. Words can be empty and cheap, but what comes next? How does your confession lead to action, your, your words to deeds? For the psalmist, this was a vital question. We see it in verse 12, the Lord has been good to him, hearing his prayers, saving him from death, restoring his life. So this is what he asks, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? He wants to do something. That's the question that anybody, anyone who has been saved by God will ask. How can I repay the Lord? And the answer, you can't. His gift is too precious, his mercy is too rich. His salvation so undeserved, you can spend your whole life trying to pay it back to God but not get anywhere. Because God is God and you're a sinner, you're out of your depths. Even so, notice what the psalmist does. He'll give his entire life to private worship and public devotion. It's already in verse 2. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I shall live. That's quite a commitment. I will call upon God as long as I live. But why wouldn't we? When we pray, we are speaking with the Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. We know he can do great things, and he will do great things. So someone who loves God wants to talk with God. If we love God, we want to pour out our whole life before him because we know that we need his blessing, his guidance, and his mercy. A child of God will pray, and then the child of God will also live for God. The psalmist says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living, verse 9. There's a rich image for our closeness with the Lord, walking. When you walk with someone, just the two of, the two of you, you're attentive to, one, to the other. You listen to when they speak. You're mindful of where they step. They both stay on the path that has been chosen. So for us, the Lord, so, so for us and the Lord, he is in heaven, we're on earth but we can walk with him. It means that we're always attentive to God's voice in the word. What does he want you to do? Where does he want you to go? If we love God, we want to walk with God every day and everywhere, then there's no secret place of your life where God is not welcome, but you want to follow his lead in everything. And then we give back to God because we want to thank him. Notice how that's where the psalmist ends up. He says that salvation has put him into God's service. 
O Lord, Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. Verse 16. Now his whole life will be for this, doing the will of the Lord. Beloved, it's not any different for a child of God today. The Lord has saved us through his Son, redeemed us from death, and given us his Holy Spirit. We love God for this. We want to do something to show God our love. This is how to do it. Be God's eager servant, his happy slave. In all your life, do his will. When we get the New Testament, this is what the Spirit tells us. This is love for God to obey his commandments. 1 John 5, verse 3. It's just, like a human relation, it's just like in human relationships when you really love someone. You don't just want to talk about them, but you want to serve them. You take a pleasure in doing their will most of the time. Love means that we'll do what is hard, what is required of us, and deny ourselves. Love means that their will is our will. So also, if we love God, our Father in Christ, if you say, I love the Lord, then listen to what the Lord says. This is what God wants me to do, so I'll do it. I'll go God's way, not because it's easier, but because I love him and because of the great things he has done for me. For the psalmist, he was so serious about devoting his life to God that he even made a vow about it. He probably made his vow when he was in trouble, when he was fe feeling the pains of death. Then the psalmist must have promised that if the Lord saved him, he'd live for God. The Lord has saved him, and now the psalmist says, I will pay my vows to the Lord, now in the presence of all his people. Verse 14, just as he promised, he'll present his gifts, and he'll offer praise. For us too, because we love God, we want to be dedicated to him. We want to give him our whole life. We love God because he's given us every reason he has saved us in Jesus Christ. He has transformed us by his spirit. He has become the, our God and Father. Yes, this is love, says John. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4, verse 10. Brothers and sisters, may this great love of God move you to love him, to love him more, and to love him truly, now and always. Amen.